something this morning, no matter what it is, we need one thing. We need to hear the voice of our good shepherd. Lord Jesus, would you come and open our hearts? Would you come, Holy Spirit, and work faith in us that we would hear your words and that we would believe them, that we would combine your words with faith so that they would become active and powerful in our hearts and our lives so that we would have overflowing life that moves us out in mission as your people. Come and work in us what is pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning we continue in our series, the never-ending series. It started in January in the the new year, and it's our mission series, and we've been going through the book of John, and one of the things that we've been seeing in the book of John is over and over and over, John is showing us Jesus. He's just showing us Jesus, just over and over and over, just different angles and aspects of who he is, and just showing us that Jesus is the very center of everything that God has for us. And a part of why we've we're going through this as our mission series is that we believe as a church that life begins with enjoying Jesus, with, with just seeing him and, and knowing him and resting in him. And, and as we enjoy him, as we find our delight and our satisfaction in Jesus, we believe that that actually moves you out in mission. That becomes an engine for mission. When you're enjoying Jesus, you can't help but be moved out in love for those in your neighborhood, in your, in your life. And so we deeply believe that as a church, that it is, it is enjoying Jesus that will move us out in sacrificial mission. And so we see another aspect today of what John is showing us about who Jesus is. Now, one of the things that we've been seeing over and over and over is that Part of the structure of the book of John is these I am statements. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that that's God's name for himself that he gives to the Israelites. He gives to Moses in Exodus. He says, my name is I am. And a part of what Jesus is doing here is he is taking that and assigning it to himself. It's a way of Jesus saying to his people, I am God. You want to understand who I am? You need to start there. I am. And we see in each of these statements just a different aspect of what that means and who Jesus is. And we see this week how Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. This is one of the most beloved of Jesus' descriptions of himself. And we'll jump into what exactly does he mean by that. But one thing just to understand as you step back from the scriptures is to know this, this image and metaphor of a shepherd and his sheep is so big in scripture. Uh, we see over and over and over in the Bible that God describes himself as a shepherd, as the shepherd of his people, and he describes his people as his sheep. You see that pop up in the Psalms in so many different places. One of the most well-known Psalms is Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. It's one of the most tender and, and assuring and beautiful Psalms that there is that is so meaningful to us as God communicates who he is and what we mean to him. But another thing that you see of this image of shepherd is that it comes to describe the leader of God's people. Kings were called shepherds of their people. In fact, David was the great shepherd of God's sheep. 
King David in the Old Testament, as he shepherded, as the psalm says, he shepherded God's people with integrity of heart and with great skill. David was the great shepherd, but as great as he was, the prophets looked ahead to a greater David because David failed ultimately. And so all of the the prophets are looking ahead to a coming Messiah who would be the true and rightful king and leader of his people. And so a part of what's happening in the backdrop of our passage is that Jesus is contrasting himself with the religious leaders in his own day. Those who were actually supposed to be shepherds but were false shepherds and leading their people astray. And here he's calling them thieves and robbers and hired hands. Those who are not there for the good of the sheep but rather to get something and to take something from the sheep. We've seen that over and over in John that Jesus is calling them out. And a part of what Jesus is is trying to get them and everyone else to understand is that I am the true king of God's people. I am the good shepherd. I'm not a hired hand. So what I want to do for our passage is to talk about, from the passage, what all does Jesus intend to communicate to us by saying, I am the good shepherd? What does it mean that he is your good shepherd if you belong to him? We're going to talk about four aspects, four implications that come out in the passage of what that means. And here's the first one. The fact that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, indicates the intimate relationship that he enjoys with his people. One of the things that he says over and over in the passage, look at, look at just verse 3, where he says, the watchman opens the gate for him, meaning the shepherd, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, when he, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Such an intimate picture of the shepherd who knows the name of his sheep, who calls out to them continually and they recognize his voice and they follow him. One of the things that is behind this metaphor of a sheep and shepherd, one of the reasons that this is so prominent in the scriptures, and we, we don't have a lot of shepherds, I don't think many of us in here are shepherds, but there's so much as you understand what, what this is, what this vocation was, that you understand more of what he's trying to communicate to us. Uh, this was a very common vocation in the ancient world. And one of the things about sheep is that sheep are really vulnerable. They're naive. They're dumb, you might say. Not very flattering to us. They're always wandering off. They're not perceiving danger they, they have this tendency to leave the sheepfold and to get themselves in trouble or, or even sometimes to be obstinate and, and to, to be stubborn and to kick back against what the shepherd wants. But the reality about the calling of a shepherd is that his goal was to care for his sheep. No matter how naive they were or prone to wander away, his job was to feed them and protect them from all the dangers that they might find themselves wandering into. Uh, to take care of them, to know them. One of the real interesting things about Middle Eastern shepherds that sets them apart from, say, like British shepherds is the fact of how they led their sheep. So in, in places like uh, Europe and Britain, the way that a shepherd would lead his sheep is from behind. He wasn't leading them, he was driving them, and oftentimes they would use dogs. 
That's how you would move the sheep along, by, by force and coercion. But the unique thing about Middle Eastern sheep is just the opposite. Shepherds would lead with their voice. They, they had such an intimate relationship with their sheep. They, they would assign names to their sheep. The sheep. They were constantly talking to the sheep so that the sheep would learn their voice. And so the shepherd, instead of driving the sheep from behind, would walk out in front calling to them, follow me, come with me. And so the sheep would recognize both the care of their shepherd and the voice, and they would willingly follow their shepherd. One commentator had a great story about this, uh, this tour, this uh, uh, tour in Israel. There was a, a tour guide who was leading a group in Israel, and they're on their bus, and, and he was telling this story about Middle Eastern sheep and how uniquely they led with care and with their voice. And they look out and they see someone driving sheep from behind. And they say, wait a minute, what's happening right there? The tour guide was a little puzzled for a minute. He said, hang on, I'll be right back. He stops the bus, he goes out, he goes over there and he talks to the guy. He comes back on the bus and he says, yeah, that's not the shepherd, that's the butcher. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. I know them by name, each and every one of them. I know their quirks. I know the ways in which they're prone to wander away. And yet I speak to them tenderly, and I care for them, and they follow me. I think for so many of us, it is so hard to imagine that he is really like that for us. I think so often our conception of God and of Jesus is that of distance, like he's distant to us. You know, he's there if we hit a real crisis in our life. But in general, you know, he kind of knows us from afar. And if there's something really bad, then he'll show up in our life. But largely, he's kind of hands off from us. And our relationship, I think oftentimes we think our relationship with Jesus is transactional. That is, if I'm good, if I'm uh, living up to the standard, if I'm, I'm responsive to him, if I'm doing everything right, then he's very pleased with me and he's very near. But if I'm, if I'm struggling and I'm blowing it big, that somehow he pulls back and, and separates himself from me. Don't you sometimes imagine him to be that way? That sometimes, somehow his care is based upon my performance. It's very natural to believe that. So our relationship seems one to be of distance, not one of intimacy like. Do you hear what Jesus is trying to tell us? I am the good shepherd. I know you by name. I protect you. I feed you even whenever you're at your worst. I'm not a hired hand. I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm not in this for me. I'm in this for you. And I'm going to care for you. And I know you intimately, and the Father has given you to me. No one can snatch you out of my hands. Do you hear that? That's what he wants us to know about himself and his care of us. So it, the good shepherd speaks of his intimate relationship with us, but also, secondly, of the fact that he has come to give us overflowing life. Look again, at, look at verse 9, what he says again here in verse 9. Where he says, I'm the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. 
Second part of that verse, he, he will come in and go out and find pasture. So it's the idea that whenever someone comes to Jesus, you will, in the image of a sheep, you will go out and you will find expansive pasture. It's, a, it's an image of flourishing and of feeding and of, of, of thriving. That's his intention for us is that we would thrive, that we would enjoy pasture in our life. And then he goes on to say, in verse 10, he says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Overflowing life. Some of our translations say abundant life. Jesus did not just come so that we would have life after we die, so that we would go to heaven when we die. That's certainly an implication of what he brings. But Jesus says even more than that, I have come to give you life. Overflowing, abundant life. I think so often we think quite the opposite. That what Jesus wants to do with us is he wants to lay burdens upon us. You know, if I'm going to follow Jesus, then what that means is, is it's going to be all about living up to a standard. And I think very often we can think of the Christian life as that of a burden, something I've got to live up to, something that I've got to achieve, and that if I'm achieving enough, then I will have that acceptance as part of the price you pay to get to go to heaven, right? Puritan Christianity, it was once said about Puritan Christianity that Puritanism is the haunting fear that someone somewhere might be having fun. You imagine that? That Christianity, that devoted Christianity is the haunting fear that someone somewhere might be happy. Do you view Christianity in that way? I certainly did whenever I was coming to Christ. When I was a young believer, I had this very distorted view of Christianity. That what it meant to be a Christian is that you avoided all fun. Right? If you were going to be really devoted as a believer, that means you always had to be like thinking about spiritual things and avoiding anything that you would, that you would enjoy in life. And I just had this distorted view of that's what it means. That if you're going to be true to God, if you're going to be devoted to God, then it's got to hurt. Very distorted view. Can you relate to that? I think very often that's the picture, picture of Christianity. Something that has to slavishly be lived up to. But yet here is Jesus saying, I've come to give you overflowing life. I'm not here to take life. I mean, Jesus, earlier in the, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is at a wedding party. His very first sign takes place at a party. Imagine that just for a moment. And at this party, they have a crisis. The wine has run out. The host of the party is about to be thoroughly embarrassed among all of his guests. And Jesus turns about 138 gallons of water into some of the best wine that's ever been tasted. Why would he do that unless he had come to bring overflowing joy? You see, it was a foreshadowing of all that Jesus came to do, it says in the passage that he was looking ahead to his time. The time in which he would usher in the new heavens and the new earth. And the description of that is a wedding feast, a party. The kingdom of God is a party. Jesus has come to bring life. Now part of the problem is that we think abundant life is found in really empty things. 
So part of the problem is we're always running after life, abundance, joy, delight in things that are empty and only ultimately take those things. But Jesus has come that we may know life in Him. He's not come to take. He's come to give us life. That is the heart of the Good Shepherd. So not only that, not only has He come for abundant life and an intimate relationship with His people, thirdly, He is the only way to be saved. Look again at verse 7, what he says in verse 7. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Again in verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. One of the things about Eastern, Middle Eastern shepherds is that the, the way that they would keep their, she, uh, their sheep in pasture is that they would put them into a fold, and the fold was not encircled by a fence, barbed wire fence, it was in, encircled by a rock wall. They would build a rock wall to create a fold, and they would bring the sheep into the fold, and there was one entrance, a little gate, an opening at the, at the very front. And so after they would get all the sheep into the fold, you know where the, the shepherd would camp and lie down throughout the night? In the opening. He would literally lay down and camp in the opening to the sheepfold. The shepherd would literally become the gate for his sheep. And Jesus is taking that to say, I'm the good shepherd who is ultimately the gate into the sheepfold. The only way in to the fold, the only way to the Father, the only way into heaven, the only way to forgiveness, the only way to anything. Is through me. I'm the only way in and the only way out. It's critical for us to see. Because I think so often in Christianity, especially in the Bible Belt, we can lose sight of that. We can think of God more generically. You know, that, that, that the idea here is for us to, to be a good person. And, you know, we're, we're giving credit to the big man upstairs. And what often happens is that Jesus leaves the very center of Christianity. That happens all the time. And we live in a pluralistic society that wants to say there are many ways to God. That all religions are, are whenever you boil it down, all ultimately the same. There's many ways to God. And essentially, what you've got to do at the end of the day is you've got to be a good person. You've got to be devoted. You've got to go to church. You've got to say your prayers. All of these kind of good things. And we can so easily lose sight of the fact that there is only one way to God. There's only one gate. There's only one way to heaven, only one way to life, and it is through the good shepherd himself. And that's part of what Jesus is communicating to us. And then fourthly is the why, the why that he's the gate. The reason that he is the gate and the only way is that he, the good shepherd, has died for his sheep. You see that over and over? Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Again in verse 15, where he says, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says it again in verse 17 and 18, four times in this short passage. He is repeating and calling to the center his own death. That I'm the good shepherd, and the reason I'm the good shepherd is because I have come to lay down my life for the sheep. Now, again, Middle Eastern shepherds, a good shepherd was willing to risk his life for his sheep. I mean, very rarely would that actually take place. A hired hand, a hired hand was just in it for the money. When a, 
when danger would come, he's bailing. He's out of there. It's part of what Jesus is saying here. But the good, a good shepherd in the, in the ancient world would be willing to risk his very life for his sheep, but rarely did that ever happen. But this good shepherd gave up his very life for his sheep. And not only did he do it, it was the very reason that he came. It's the very center of not only this passage, but the entire book of John. Where Jesus has said, I have come for this purpose. To go to the cross. To lay down my life for my sheep. And that is how we become a sheep. That is why he is the gate and the only way to the Father. I think, again, we can lose sight of the centrality of the cross. That we can think of Christianity, certainly we begin with the cross. You know how we begin the Christian life? By putting our trust in what Jesus has done in our place. But so often we want to move on to doing the Christian life through trying harder. Learning more. You know, getting, getting better than I was before. Getting devoted. You know, and we're always getting a little bit better and then falling back down. And we're always measuring his acceptance of us, his delight in us, on our performance. But rather what Jesus is saying here is that, do you understand the whole heart of all of this? It's the cross. I came to lay down my life so that my sheep would become mine. Jesus did not die on the cross just to make a way for us to be saved. Just to make a way for us to save ourselves by stepping through. When Jesus hung on the cross, he actually purchased his sheep. When he died on the cross, he was not just making a way, but he knew the names of his sheep, and he was purchasing their salvation in that moment. It was on the cross that he bore the wrath of God in our place, that he took our sins upon himself, and that he gives to us his very own righteousness. So you see, that's the basis of our relationship with the Good Shepherd. It's not based upon our performance or how good we are, how well we're doing, how obedient we are, how devoted we are. None of that is the basis for his intimate care of us. The entire basis of his intimate care of his sheep is his cross, his laying down his life. And if you are his sheep, no one can snatch you out of his hand. That's what he goes on to say in the latter part of the chapter. The Father has given them to me, and they are mine, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you are his sheep, you have been washed, you have been cleansed, and you have been clothed in his righteousness, regardless of what you have ever done or will do in your life. That is astounding to us. So let's apply that just for a moment. Let me ask the question, do you believe in his intimate care and protection and keeping of you? Do you believe in that? I mean, not just here. I mean, we would all get that answer right, I would suspect. But I mean, does it really, at a gut level, in your heart, do you believe his care for you is that deep? Are you that certain? That he's never going to let you go. Are you that certain that he knows you that intimately? That he knows your name? That, that he's caring for you and overseeing you? What's is so easy in the, just the hardships of life, the struggles of life, the circumstances that we face in our life, 
You know, we read those the wrong way. You know, we see the struggles that we continue to have in our life, our own sins. We see the circumstances in our life that feel harsh and bitter and confusing to us. And we look at those things, and what does it do? It causes us to doubt that his love for us is really that true. I mean, do you ever think to yourself, I don't understand. If you love me in this way, would you allow this to happen in my life? You ever thought that to yourself? Because I do all the time. You see, so often we allow our circumstances or our struggles to interpret his love and care for us rather than his very own word. Do you see what he's saying to us here? I'm the good shepherd. If you know my voice and you are my sheep, that is going to separate you from my love. You see, if you begin to receive that at a deep level, that changes everything. You see, it's not just knowing it here. That won't do you a bit of good. But it's as we begin to deeply rest in his intimate love and care for us, in that security that we have in the cross, it changes everything. That's when abundant life flows in our life. You want to know, how do, I, how do I find satisfaction? How do I find this overflowing life? Well, it's coming to rest in His love and intimate care for you. And as you become convinced of that, you know what begins to happen? You begin to be moved out in mission. You begin to have an energy of love that begins to drive your relationships. You begin to care about what Jesus said here. I have other sheep that are not of the sheepfold. I got to bring them also. When you're experiencing his intimate care and shepherding of you, you begin to care about that. And we get the privilege of introducing sheep to their shepherd. Let me just stop there for just a few moments and let's just let's just hear for each other. How does that strike you as you consider this image of Jesus as the good shepherd, what are ways in which it challenges you? What are ways in which it encourages you? Let's hear from each other. How, what's happening in you as you consider Jesus as the good shepherd? I don't have much to say. I think it just creates a um, just a really deep longing in me, in the sense that I I do and I have known that sense of of confidence in Christ being my good shepherd and in His care. But just like how easily I am distracted from that. Yeah. Um, I mean, daily, hourly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think. I think it just creates a, a, a deep longing in me to know it more and mm. to rest in him more yeah. rather than basing my um, his love for me on my own performance, which yeah. is what I usually do. Yeah. So. yeah. Thank you. Deeply identify with that. Anybody else? I think some of you know that I had a broken heart for the last someone very dear to me that was restrained and it was literally killing me I mean I just had come to church with him 
so thankful that that is over, everything is mended, and he is a good shepherd. And I, I just thank you for all your prayers. Still got a while, so we're good. Dustin. Yeah, I guess I um, maybe a sec more of a secondary application because it wasn't so much hitting me, but. Um, going through a situation right now where I'm in a lot of tension with somebody that I love a lot who's also a Christian and uh, it's been so easy to be like how in the world could you think this how in the world could you make these decisions that are, are hurting people and um, I see what it's doing to my own heart right now mm-hmm. of like really hardening me and putting me <laughs> in a judgmental sh- judgmental place um, and hearing you know, that the father knows his sheep, not just me, but this other person, and, and God loves and cares and knows their name, and like you said, knows what sends them off trail and stuff like that, and trying to get to a place where I can actually trust mm-hmm. that the father knows other sheep, Yeah, um, and get to a place where I'm not sitting here as if, you know, all of it rests on me. If I could just scream at him loud, you know, I, I actually suck at screaming, so that's a metaphor. But <laughs> if I could just, like, beat him over the head with some common sense, maybe he would listen to, to, to step away from that and say, no, stop. Yeah. Love him and know that the Father knows his sheep yeah. by name. Yeah. And it's in his hands. Yeah. Um, really, really cares for me, I guess. Yeah. Like that. That, thank you for sharing that, Dustin. I, I think that's a great example of how what you have to do is take this and like work it down into the everyday realities of where you live, the actual things you are facing and struggling with and battling with in your life. That's what you got to do with the gospel, to take something that you might understand here and bring it down into your everyday life. And I have this thing where... I always think in, in my own troubles, in my own struggles, in my own circumstances, I have this thing where I think it doesn't apply here. Can you relate to that? You know, I think in my struggles, well, you know, that applies to everybody else. Like his love, his care. And let me tell you how easily I can believe he is the intimate, present, good shepherd for you. But when it comes to me, especially in the hard reality of what I struggle with and what I walk through, it's so hard for me to really trust that. Because here's what I do. In the face of those things, I run to other places, right? I run to places to relieve the pain. I run, run, run to other places to fix the circumstances. And I just see how slow my heart is to really believe, wait a minute, you are my good shepherd Right here in this. And what does this mean? How am I going to lean into this and rest into this? It takes a tremendous amount of intentionality with my heart to really say, I'm going to take the gospel and work it into my heart. That's why we always say, you've got to learn how to preach the gospel to yourself constantly. Because we're constantly prone to forget it for ourselves. 
That's my share. Charlie. Um, I think this resonates with me. One thing that's cool about this is it's very timeless. I think in a week it could resonate with me completely differently. Uh -huh. uh, it just depends on like what we're going through. But um, my mom was hit by a car about a week and a half ago. And this story is really cool because um, when she got hit, the guy got out and looked at her unconscious body and decided to get back in it right away. Mm. It's really, it's neat because the Lord looked at her and said, that's, that's mine. That was my mom. He offered it to her and has her take something from that man's heart as well. Yeah. And um, it kind of gives me a peace to yeah. know that the Lord has him and that I don't have to struggle with that. Yeah. And it's just, it gives me hope. Mm. That is a beautiful picture of applying this to something so vulnerable. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else? Stan. I was waiting on Stan. I'm like, come on. Where's Stan? Growing up in the Bible Belt, I grew up in denominations that were all about that you can screw it up so easy. You can mess up your relationship with Jesus so easy, you know. And you did it every day if you were honest, you know. Yeah. But that's not the case, you know. And I kind of fled here because uh, uh, just I became convinced of the sovereignty of God, you know. And that line uh, where no one is able, no one is able to snatch you out of my hand. Mm. That's uh, the gospel. Yeah. That's the gospel. Yeah. And um, all the way through that, John Tenney talks about his sheep listen for his voice. You know, voice of a stranger. You know, they weren't here. They ran away. And uh, just to trust in that voice and to know that really there's nothing I can do uh, to make him love me anymore. And there's nothing I can do to make him love me any less. Just, yeah. you know, is uh, just such a precious truth. Yeah. You know, that he's in charge of my salvation. Yeah. He's in charge of correcting me. Yeah. I don't have to worry about, you know, towing the line, you know, because he's going to, he's got that under control. That's just a lot <coughs> of peace, you know. Yeah. A lot of peace. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never been able to put it out. Yeah. It's, this is really the heart of grace. If I didn't do anything to get in, then I can't do anything to get out. And most of us are afraid to really believe that deeply in grace. Because we know nothing else in our world works that way. And there's kind of a fear that if I fully believe that, what would happen? So we kind of hedge our bets a little bit. Yeah, I'll, I'll believe in his grace, but I'll also trust in my goodness too. And you've got to see there's no joy or life in that. Until you just surrender yourself to the shepherd, you're not going to know overflowing abundance. You've you got to have a certain amount of trust that, okay, I'm, I'm going to fully just trust in the voice of my shepherd. You've you got to leap to experience it. You can't just know it here. You've you got to step into it to experience it. But that's where life is found. It's the only place life is found. Let me close this now in prayer as we go to close.